Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Shorty. It's Wednesday, so that can only mean PMQ's unpacked. Tim Shipman will join me to pause the action for the House of Commons and analyze in real time. Keir Starmer versus Boris Johnson. Two weeks ago, Keir Starmer was very boring. Last week, he did lots of jokes. Find out what he did this week in just a moment. But first, as ever, we kick off with our columnist panel. Uh, no Alice Thompson today, so Robert Crampton was joined by Carol Lewis. The Columnists on Times Radio. Normally on a Wednesday we'd have Alibert, but no Alice Thompson. So playing the role of Alice Thompson today is uh, Carol Lewis. Morning, Carol. Hello. And playing the role, as ever, of Robert Crampton is Robert Crampton. Morning. Morning, Matt. How are we all? Yeah, good. You're both here. Yeah, it's good. Got a bus. You got a bus? Yeah. Always get the bus. Always get the bus. Right, yeah. you're a man of the people. <laughs> I'm just it's just it's convenient way it's just the most convenient way to get to work what about you Carol? I was on the tube and it was running very efficiently better than usual to be honest so that's good uh, but what about what the trains you've written your uh, you've written a piece um, Robert saying that uh, strikes are more exciting in the 1970s yeah 80s. it wasn't an entirely serious piece and it, and it is kind of uh, surely not and it is, uh, I would put the uh, the caveat in that I don't have to travel uh, on a train or a tube because I get a bus yeah. Uh, so I can understand if somebody read that piece and was maybe, I haven't read the below the line comments, but I wouldn't be surprised if a few people were saying this is, uh, uh, annoying. Anyway, I was saying, <laughs> I'm saying basically you haven't seen nothing yet. If you lived through the seventies and eighties, uh, that's when strikes were really proper strikes, especially in the, you know, you can't really take a strike seriously with, with this glorious weather we're having. You need a brazier full of, full of, uh. Offcuts of wood donated by sympathisers. Uh, that's a good point. Because I remember, but in fact, when I was training as a journalist, it was joined. Was, was it fire strikes? FBU were very militant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was, fire, the, yeah. it was about twenty. It was literally about twenty years ago, and we were sent out it, uh, writing for a fictional newspaper, which didn't exist. But we were sent out to cover. Mm. But yeah, a burning brazier and all that. That's what you want. I uh, I would, I'd started the piece by saying I saw some kid wearing a t-shirt which said Jack Jones, and I thought, why are they wearing a tribute to the <laughs> general secretary of the TNG? 1968 to 78. I mean, we grew up... With, I mean, you're a bit younger than me, so maybe you didn't. But I grew, I grew up when, you know, he was called the most powerful man in the country, and yeah. he kind of was for a while. It was a very niche joke in your car, but I enjoyed it. Yes, thank I enjoyed you. It. I thought you so, like. A Jack and Jones T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. um, what do you think, Carl? Because um, we, we talked a little bit about this yesterday. That the government's clearly very keen to stoke up... Oh, it's not the 1970s all mm. over again. Which is the nicest possible way, no disrespect to, to Robert... Well, a vast majority of people do not remember what went on in the 1970s and so find it all a bit baffling. No, I'm one of those. I've got some recollection of what went on. I do remember Arthur Scargill being on the telly uh, and I was quite shocked to see him roll out the other day, actually. Yeah. Um, barely recognisable. Yeah. But 
there's a lot of um, harking back, a bit like it was the good old days. But mm. actually, there was, uh, I think there was 12% inflation and, mm. you know, sort of 9% interest rates. It, it definitely wasn't the good old days. I also get it mixed up with the hot summer. There was a hot summer in the 70s, wasn't there? 76. 76. Yeah, oh, drought of 76. Yeah, and there yeah. were the green goddesses and the, and the mm -hmm. army going around. So I get those mixed up. Green goddesses, they were, they were out and about in Hastings in like 20 years ago, covering the fire brigade. That was the yes, same. they and pre previously they'd been out. They weren't strike breaking, but they're uh, in seventy six. Yeah, they, yeah. they were just there, yeah, watering. But now it yeah. all joins up. It all joins up again. Yeah. I wasn't saying it was the good old days. I was saying it was more serious. I mean, strikes then, particularly the miners' strike, was a battle for the kind of soul of the country. I mean, it yeah. was it was which side are you on? And it was uh, there was a distinct flavour of this could bring down the government. And in fact, the, the miners' strike in seventy two and then again seventy four did bring down the government. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was a who rules election, yeah, Ted yeah. Heath. So it was, I mean, this is not you. Yeah, this is about uh, this is about a pay claim, uh, and with nine point three percent inflation, some people would say it's a justifiable pay yeah. claim. And you know, it's not just the RMT; it's the nurses and the teachers mm. are making noises as well. So it's not about uh, who runs Britain. It's about give us some more money because inflation's really high. I also wonder whether, Carol, the Conservatives are desperately trying to paint this as it's like it's all the 1970s all over again. Labouring hot to the unions, <laughs> aggressive, violent union barons holding the country to <laughs> ransom. We've got Keir Starmer dithering all over the place, can't decide whether he strikes or not. And Mick Lynch um, just performing this sort of extraordinary vaudeville. But yeah, every time he goes on. Uh, interviews or he's confronted by politicians. He just doesn't play the game. He comes across as a quite mild-mannered, quite funny guy who is just standing up for his members. So if, if everyone's not going to play their role in the Conservatives' great... Yes. Boris is hardly Thatcher, is he? We could, we could try, exactly. But it, it just doesn't work, does it? It's no. like the government getting really annoyed that the Labour Party aren't actually fully full-throated defending the strikes. Uh, Mick Lynch is not, you know, vowing to grind the country to a halt. He's just saying, I want my staff to have some more money and that's what unions are here for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a bit sort of strikes light, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And Keir Starmer can't be seen to be too unionist because then that's all harking back to Corbyn as well. So I think, I think the problem is, because I was talking to someone about this yesterday, I think the problem is that Keir Starmer just doesn't know. My sense is, like, Tony Blair would have known you know, because he, he said it was always building on the Thatcher's legacy or whatever, mm. he would have known that you can't have a modern 21st century economy being ground to a halt by... Of course. Union I mean, action. Yeah, this ought, to be a, this ought to be an absolute gift for Keir Starmer. Yeah. Because it's left-bashing. Yeah. He can bash the unions and... But both, uh, but both Blair and Corbyn would have known where they stood. I just don't, right. I'm just not sure Keir Starmer does know. No, I don't think he does. And I think he's, got, uh, and he's obviously worried about some of his shallow cabinet colleagues who are more instinctively... Uh, yeah, behind the behind the strike, uh, he could. I mean, he, all he has to say is, uh, we can see people are hurting because of inflation, blame which for which he can blame the government. Yeah, uh, but we shouldn't be going on strike. Yeah, it's easy, and and uh, I'm not. But it's not doing that. And part of the re but then part of the reason why is because he doesn't really know. He hasn't been able to articulate it, and the shadow mm. cabinet don't seem to know what the line is. And then they go on the telly and say what they actually think. Yeah. Mm. You know, with this total mess. And then you had, um, they were told not to join picket lines. And about half a dozen of the men went yeah, and joined picket lines. Yeah, did their own thing anyway. Yeah. 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 I'm not sure there's a lot of public support for the rail workers either. I think there would be for nurses and teachers, but yeah. less so for rail workers. Well, I think the big problem is, I'm really conscious when we keep talking about railways, um, for those of us who actually go on the trains every day, it's obviously mildly interesting, but most people don't. The vast majority no. of people do not go on trains every day. They're not affected by this. 
They no, can't and they really just, understand why. And they've had a couple of years when they work from home. And, yeah. Uh, you know, they, well, that's trains, the other trains have become less uh, necessary. Yeah, that's the other thing, mm-hmm. is that whether the, the strikes will have that much impact, whether people do get that cross, or mm-hmm. just means, actually, weather's nice, exactly. home for a couple of days. Yeah. Bosses don't mind because I can still get my work done. Yeah. And yesterday was a bit of a sort of a flashback to the first lockdown, wasn't it? But without the baking and the clapping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what about what about because we've talked before about you know the people moved who moved out of London thought they were never going back to the office again. Um, with your property hat on, is that changing? Are people suddenly realising they do have to come back? Or there's, there's a bit more there's a bit more action a bit further in, not right back in, unless you're talking about sort of Pierre de Terres when sort of more wealthy people have bought out, uh, and I imagine they're grateful for those in this this week anyway. Yeah. So there's a bit more of that, but we've got property prices out today. Uh, and talking about all the problems in in the economy, uh, they're running at twelve point four percent. Up, up. Come on, especially in Brighton. Every time we talk about this, yes. I say to you, "What the hell is going on?" What we the went hell through is the whole on? pandemic, yeah. where uh, the economy grounds were halt, people were on furlough, house prices still kept going up. We got him out of the pandemic, inflation booms, uh, cost of living crisis. People choose between heating and eating. House prices are still going up. What's going I know. on? I, I would say this is the last hurrah and there's a... You've been saying that for two years now. I know, I know. <laughs> and one day I'll be actually right. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a, there's a three-month lag on the, on the ONS figures. And I would say when I'm talking to people on the phone, they generally are telling me it is slowing down. They are seeing fewer buyers. Prices are coming off a bit. But, yeah, it's not translating into the figures yet, which is bizarre. Is there a point where slowing down becomes a crash? Does, does, does everything else that's going on in the economy, is that the ultimate thing that we, that we end up at? It, dep- it depends what happens with the economy. If the economy does what we think it's going to do, and it looks like it's on track, we've got 9% inflation, if we think it's going to go to 10% in the autumn, if we think interest rates are going to go to 3%, then the housing market won't crash, but it will slow, say 5% over the next two years. Um, but if you've got strikes and you've got people demanding large wage rises and these 10% wage rises start coming mm. in, that'll feed inflation. And then you're talking about much higher inflation, much higher interest rates. And accordingly, the crash will be, well, the dip will be more of a crash. But how, how high do interest rates need to go before we worry about that? Oh, I think, I, to be honest, I don't know. Yeah. But I would say 5%, maybe yeah. plus. I mean, in the 70s, they were, they were near a 9%. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Let's see. Back in the good old days, Robert. Yeah. I never said they were the good old days. I just said it was more serious. That's worse old days, in a way. Yeah, in lots of ways. In lots of ways. We, we went the biggest problem, the... I mean, surely the big thing with the housing is, is just is we don't have enough houses. It's a supply issue, isn't it, at the end of the... I mean, the, the, it, yeah, there's, the it's two things. Underlying issue is... Supply yeah. is one, and low interest rates. The money's yeah. been cheap. Yeah. And we've been... Th- th- those two things in combination. Which brings us to the Brighton story today, yeah. which is... Um, the council in Brighton has voted to draw up some rules to um, ban new build properties being sold as second homes. Now, they're not the first to do it, but it's the first city. I mean, it's been done in Cornwall. I think St Ives did it about five years ago. Mm. It's not entirely effective on its own in that private developers are very reluctant to build only affordable housing. Yeah. And it tends to push up the price of the secondary market around those developments. But, I mean, I'm not against second homes, but there should be controls so that local communities can put a cap on how many yeah, are yeah. in their area and they should be able to get something back out of it. Um, so how, how do they control it? How do they know? 
Well, they don't at the moment. Yeah, um, the government a... has introduced, I mean, it hasn't introduced, but it announced in the Queen's speech that councils be able to double council tax. Yeah. Uh, they've also tightened up the rules on business rate relief for holiday lets, so that, that makes that a bit stronger. But there's a lot of muttering about bringing in uh, planning permissions so that you'd have to get planning permissions to turn a home from uh, a primary home into a secondary home. But, but then you're going to look at monitoring how many nights people are staying there and stuff. I mean, that's And, and how a, do you know what is what anyway? That's what I mean. I mean, yeah. you say, well, you, you, OK, you've had, your, you've had your sort of 30 days here mm. or something. Because I suppose if, if, it's, if it's being used as a holiday let, then you, may, you know, I can see how you could lock, lock that into planning permission yeah. if it's being advertised. And yes, and you're people. running, and if you're running it as a business. Yeah, yeah. but then, if I, I mean, not that I a could or b would, but if I just bought a flat in yeah. Brighton mm -hmm. and just went down there occasionally, how do they know whether or not it's my second home? And if I'm they don't. happy, they don't. Other no. than you would have paid three percent additional stamp duty, so they could tell from that. Oh, so for tax on, purposes, that's right. So, so they could tell from that. But if you bought it before that came in, there's, yeah. no one knows. Uh, and it's not retrospective anyway, even if they bring in planning permission, it's not going to help Brighton. Yeah. I think what we need, if they ask me, which I haven't, <laughs> but if what we need... We will. <laughs> what do we need? <laughs> <laughs> I think we need more social housing um, and we also need more properly affordable housing. So affordable is just a term that's bandied around. There's no real equation uh, that yeah. says what it is, but it should be linked to local wages rather than local house yeah, prices. So in the moment, it's a discount in a house price. But if you build more of it, then it becomes affordable just because the market makes it affordable because there's more of it. And that the problem at the moment is we can't. Does, is that, but is, you need to build does, a lot yeah, of houses. You need to build something like 250,000 to get a 1% reduction in yeah. house price. Wow. I wow. mean, that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you really want to control house price and bring it down, build a load, like yeah. a million, let's say, yeah, yeah. and whack up interest rates. Yeah. But, I mean, that's not good, generally, whacking up <laughs> interest rates. But, and we yeah. can't do that because of the... Chesham and Hammersham by-election 2021 when the Tories went yeah, there. Yeah, exactly, the planning. It's going to be the whole planning yeah. mm. reform and the 25% swing. Uh, and that was the south of England, NIMBYs, killed, yeah. killed that stone and The most dead. recent planning um, reforms were watered down again. Oh, they've been completely watered yeah. down. I mean, that was real cag yeah. cowardice, I thought, and this government is one of their big things. But again, it goes back to short-termism, which I know we've talked yeah. about before. Uh, because it takes a long time to get houses built, takes a long time to get teachers or doctors trained. Mm. There's no in political incentive if you're in trouble this week training up some doctors in eight years' time or changing the plan no, of to build houses. It's the same with apart from, same, same apart, with apart from the and... idea of just like do yeah. it, doing the right thing, yeah, which is a bit old-fashioned. Yeah. Uh, let's finish off by talking about noisy restaurants. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Extraordinary, isn't it? London restaurants are the loudest, apparently. It says 76 decibels is, is uh, above that level human conversation becomes difficult and some of the I think some it's of these are being of, logged at 990 yeah. something I think it's a way of weeding out old people yeah. I think they put loud music on so you can't hear anything and they dim the lights so that you have to try and you know, use your phone yeah. to try and see it <laughs> there was a nice line in our leader this morning saying it's a, a noise is a cheap substitute for atmosphere I thought that was rather well that's put. a good because uh, it is often, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. You know, let's put some music on. Let's all turn that and, and as if we're all having a great time. And often you sit mm. in there thinking, actually, I came out. I didn't come out to listen to, you know, your medley of, of, of uh, <laughs> indie I, indie rock. Yeah, I, middle of the road. You came out to talk yeah, to people, yeah, yeah. and often you can't. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I think. I think but it's then a bit there is issue. also nothing worse than being in a very quiet, empty restaurant. 
True. It's a fine, you know, it's a fine line. You've got happy medium, as yeah. ever. Happy medium is the middle of the road. It's the Times Radio. <laughs> Centrist on everything. Um, although it made me think, because I, um, when I was doing the stand-up tour, I was, I, my instruction to the, the people doing the stand-up was always to have the music very loud as people came in. Yeah. So that people were chatting noisily. But that's... We well, don't want it to be like coming in... That's a performance whispering. thing. Yeah. Like going out for dinner is not... That is different. It's different. Yeah, yeah. And it's a public thing, but it's a private... It's public and private at the yeah, same yeah. time. You, you, you're in the public space, but in a, in a, in a uh, private table, as it were. Uh, and it's not listening to some guy on stage telling jokes. And also, the, the point they make in this, uh, in the piece, is that 40 or 50 years ago, restaurants had soft furnishings, carpets, yeah, that's curtains... A big one. All that was now. It's all wood floors and it's all stainless yeah. steel. Bring so back all... tablecloths and napkins. Yeah, <laughs> cushions. The campaign starts here. Um, Although really... carpets and restaurants, it is a bit like being yeah. in someone's front room. Yeah, isn't it? about carpets, but I'm yeah. all in favour of cushions. Cushions. Yeah, that's t- you can't get me on middle of the road than that. <laughs> cushions. Vote cushion. Vote, vote cushion. <laughs> <laughs> and pillows. As is, it well. too late? is it too late to get you into one of the by elections tomorrow? <laughs> you'd, you'd sweep the board. Vote cushion. Cushions. Cushions everywhere. Um, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground again, from the 1970s to second homes to why every restaurant should come with a free cushion. <laughs> Carol Lewis and Robert Crampton there, of course, you can read them in the Times of Week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next is PMQ's Unpacked. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast. Now it's time for this. Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer going at it on the uh, across the dispatch box. Tim Shipman, the Sunday Times chief political commentator, is here. How are you, Tim? I'm very well indeed. I mean, if we're going to have something enshrined in the British Bill of Rights, surely you and I should be able to decide. Say if someone loses PMQs three weeks in a row, they should go in a sin bin for a month <laughs> and then we can have Angela Rayner versus Dominic Raab instead. So um, which which Keir Starmer do we get this week? Two weeks ago, it was boring snoring Keir Starmer, just asked about the NHS in the week that the government wanted to talk about the NHS. Last week, we had crazy, crazy guy. 
uh, Keir Mad Starmer. dad joke, yeah. Keir Starmer. He taught, compared Boris Johnson to Jabba the Hutt, an ostrich, and a contestant on Love Island. Which Keir Starmer do we get this week? Will it be something in between? <laughs> and um, I suspect whatever Keir Starmer asks about, Boris Johnson will ask Keir Starmer what he thinks about strikes. Uh, that's going to happen, isn't it? Um, and it'll be interesting to see if Keir Starmer knows what he thinks about strikes. I mean, you did some reporting a couple of weeks ago about concerns in the shadow cabinet. I did some more reporting at the weekend um, where, you know, they kept saying, well, Keir Starmer's going to tell us what he thinks about immigration and about Brexit and about all these things. He's going to get on the front foot. He's bored of all these... They've got a plan. They've got a plan and it's not all this sort of um, uh, think tanky nonsense. He wants some policies that the public can understand. But, you know, we are still slightly waiting and we don't really know what he thinks about strikes and we don't really know what he thinks about... Rwanda, and we don't really know what he thinks about um, Northern Ireland. So, and, and one of the one of the criticisms of Keir Starmer is that, is that the problem with the on the strike question is he doesn't actually know what he thinks. Does he think that Labour is the party of uh, organised labour and therefore should support the strikes and the workers in seeking to get better pay from employers, or does he think that in a twenty first century you can't have an economy uh, being ground to a halt by over over excitable union leaders? And he, because he doesn't know the answer to that question, you end up with this sort of well, he might think one or other of those things. He might think neither of those things. Or he might think both of those things. And <laughs> right now, we're not quite clear which. And, and actually, sometimes you need to have the balls to say one one of those things. Um, well, we'll find out. Uh, here we go, then. Hello to everyone watching already online. Uh, greetings from North Wales, says Patricia. Lou is in Pennsylvania. Candy is in New York. John is in Mongolia. Andrew is in Bethnal Green in London, not that far away. Uh, Jeff is in Suffolk. We've got Richard in Plymouth. Probably so many people. There's someone in Munich, uh, Cape Town, Maidervale, Manchester, Norfolk, Cambridge, Switzerland. And uh, hello to Glenn especially. There really is no better way to watch and understand PMQs than on Times Radio. It's a typo. We'll let you off, Glenn. Uh, watch along on the Times Radio YouTube channel. Listen along on Times Radio. This is question number one from Keir Starmer. Question Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in his comments about Windrush? Uh, and can I pay tribute to everyone who is serving and has served in our armed forces? Can I also pay tribute to everyone standing for election tomorrow, in particular the plucky Conservative candidate for Wakefield? <laughs> he's standing, even though his own colleagues think he's so useless they held a vote of no confidence in him. <laughs> Does the, does, the, does, the, does the Prime Minister does the, does the Prime Minister hold any personal interest in seeing if the public will vote for a Tory that even his own side don't think is up to it? Yeah. Well, Mr Speaker, I have absolutely no doubt. Uh, that the people of this country and the people of Wakefield, people of Tiverton and Holliton would much rather vote uh, for a solid Conservative government uh, than, for a, than for a Labour Party. Uh, they're enablers and acolytes in the Liberal Democrats, Mr Speaker. The chameleons, the, the karma chameleons of British politics, are when, the, when the leader of the Labour Party hasn't even got the gumption, Mr Speaker, to speak out against the rail strikes. <laughs> people in the north of this country, up and down this country. Uh, absolutely unbelievable silence uh, from the leader of the Labour Party, Mr Speaker. <laughs> well, that's it. Hey, we've well, got everything nice to be proved right we've quickly, got, isn't We've it? got everything covered there. So can you, uh, two by-elections happening tomorrow. Uh, one in Wakefield. Labour hoping to take that one. 
uh, on a relatively small uh, majority to overturn there. Uh, and then in Tiverton and Honiton, an absolutely stonking 24,000 majority uh, for the Conservatives that the Lib Dems are hoping to take. Uh, the, the, the point, so the, it was a Tory candidate, Nadim Ahmed, when he was a councillor, ha, had suffered a, a vote of confidence in him. And so uh, there... Well, Boris Johnson obviously feeling sort of some fellow some, feeling some with this gentleman. fellow feeling there. Um, Telling, though, that he didn't claim he was going to win either of these by-elections, he suggested that these the, the people of these seats might prefer a Conservative government. Well, they're not electing a Conservative government tomorrow. Uh, they're kicking out a Conservative yeah, yeah. MP tomorrow, uh, as everybody um, uh, expects. Um, Do you think the expectation management, the line's been pushed by... I mean, the Lib Dems will be pleased. They got a, they got a voluntary mention there from Boris Johnson. Enablers and acolytes. Oh, don't forget the karma chameleons karma of British, British politics. Now, you well. and I are old enough to remember when it was one David Cameron who's been described as a chameleon. Indeed. On a bicycle. Do you remember the, the uh, weird... I, I, yes. It, the Labour it, Party it, had a, a weird... horrifying effort, flashback is now working. Of a, of a chameleon that... riding a bicycle. Some of those, some people did mock that up in their newspapers, if I remember rightly, at the time. I, I remember. Um, they were, I mean, we were talking to somebody who used to work for the Labour Party. They got someone in a chameleon costume on a bike for a photo opportunity, but obviously it didn't change colour. He was just a man dressed as a lizard, unable to ride his bike. It didn't really communicate anything in particular. Um, so there we are. There's nothing really more to unpack from that, is there? Should we pack up and go home? No. Let's have question number two from Keir Starmer. He's obviously not been to Wakefield recently. He's crashed the economy. He's put everybody's tax up. The last Tory sent up to Wakefield being convicted of a sexual assault. That's not much of a pitch, Prime Minister. Talking of people not up to the job, whilst the Transport Secretary spends his time working on his spreadsheet tracking the Prime Minister's unpopularity, thousands of families have had their holiday flights cancelled. It takes forever to renew your driving licence or passport, and now we've got the biggest rail strike in 30 years. If he is genuine, if he is genuine... Boris Johnson is shaking his head. Let's calm down, we've only just started. The problem is he'll go on forever and nobody wants that, I assure you. Whoever's speaking or asking questions, here's Starmer. If he's genuine about preventing strikes, will the Prime Minister tell this House how many meetings he or his Transport Secretary have had with rail workers this week to actually stop the strikes? We know the answer to that. This is the government that loves the railways, that invests in the railways. Not, not 96 billion pounds we're putting into the integrated railway plan building. Not just, I'm proud to have built Crossrail, by the way, Mr. Speaker, and we're going to build Northern Powerhouse Rail. But what we've got to do is modernise our railways. And it is a disgrace when we are planning to make sure that you don't have ticket offices that sell fewer than one ticket every hour, Mr. Speaker. That he yesterday had. 25 Labour MPs out on the picket line, out on the picket line to fight instructions. I want to hear the Prime Minister answer, even if you don't. I think you ought to show some respect to the Prime Minister. Prime Minister. Out on the 25 li- and, and the shadow deputy leader, out on the, the picket line, uh, Mr. Speaker, backing the strikers, Mr. Speaker, while we back the strivers. There we go. 
We've got another sort of puntastic phrase. A puntastic. Now, I'm not sure. Just we, we rewind back to uh, Keir Starmer's thing. Uh, yeah, he was clearly trying to... He's trashed the economy. He's put everyone to... Sort of chuckling while he talked about sexual assault, although that was a slightly odd tone to strike. I think, yeah, to go back to where we began this, the tone he's trying to strike is sort of jaunty dismissal. Yes. Um, so he's not labouring, here comes a joke, dung, 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 yeah. and then having it land like a cowpat. Um, nor is he trying to be boring. He's trying to sort of... Um, He's come doing, at it with a degree he, of energy, but without sounding like he cares about every joke landing, which is probably a decent approach. But as you say, less decent when you're talking about people sexual assault. sexually assaulting but kids, putting together, which is why... Putting know, together holiday flights cancelled, passports taking a long time, and whale strike. What, he, what, he's, what he's sort of lacking, I wonder whether it's the problem the, 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 the Labour Party have generally, is the sort of... What's the buzz phrase? Is it yeah. Tory chaos, Tory collapse, con- you yeah. know... Country not working, what, government what is not working. Something that just hangs on everything. And yeah, everyone... I mean, we did a piece in the Sunday Times a couple of weeks ago, one of my uh, colleagues did an excellent piece about, you know, it, why isn't the state functioning, basically? Yeah. And it got a huge number of readers. It was yeah. one of the most popular pieces that week because yeah. it sort of touched a nerve with the public. That all these little things coming together, it just feels like it's not quite broken Britain, but yeah. it's, they need something to pull this together. You know, and we said this last week about Starmer. He had a good theme about Boris Johnson wanting to provoke division on various things, but he didn't pull all the examples together, give it a name and kind of put it up in lights. Um, you know, you sort of feel with Starmer, in a sense, I mean, at the risk of bigging ourselves up there, that we're, someone like us is required to explain what he's trying to do to everybody yeah, yeah, rather yeah, yeah. than making it blindingly obvious to the voter. It sort of feels a bit like they need to do enough focus groups until they stumble across a take-back control or a get-Brexit-done. Yeah. The phrase Three that, word that phrases, people please. are using already yeah. in conversation. Uh, you know why? Why aren't? Why is nothing working? Why doesn't? Yeah. Why? why yeah. Anyway, why is nothing working? We'll there, con- you we'll conf- <laughs> there you go. There you go. Three words. Why is nothing working? Uh, we'll um, we'll keep workshopping that. Uh, also, I mean, it's clearly a bomb for Keir Starmer. He's explicitly told people not to go to the picket lines, and twenty-five Labour MPs did. Let's see if he addresses that. He was the one who raised the strikes, allowing Boris Johnson to have another go at that. Let's see what he does now with uh, question number three. Mr Speaker, I'm surprised he's giving me advice about my team. If I do need advice, let's say about a £100,000 job at the Foreign Office, I, I will ask him for recommendations. Uh, and, and there you... Mr Speaker, there you have it. The Prime Minister of this country and his Transport Secretary haven't attended a single meeting, held a conversation or lifted a finger to stop these strikes. But I did note that on Monday they did find time to go to a lavish ball where the Prime Minister sold a meeting with himself for £120,000 to a donor. If there's money coming his way, he's there. If it, he's nowhere to be seen. So rather than blame everyone else, why doesn't he do his job, get round the table and get the trains running? Uh, we are making sure that we do everything we can to prevent uh, these strikes. As he knows, it is up to the railway companies uh, to negotiate. Uh, that is their job. Uh, we've spent £16 billion looking after the railways, Mr Speaker, throughout the pandemic. That's cost every household £600. And at the same time, we know why he takes the line he does. We know why he won't condemn the strikes. We know why even now he hasn't got the gumption to call out uh, his, his MPs who are going out, on, uh, going out to support the pickets, Mr Speaker. Uh, 
the reason his authority is on the line in this matter is that they take, they take £10 million uh, from the unions, Mr Speaker. That's the fee, that's the fee that m- the learned gentleman opposite is receiving for the case he is failing to make. Was a slight rerun of what we had before. A little bit of a legal joke there at the end. I mean, uh, Starmer, if we're looking for jokes, missed a classic opportunity there because he was referring to the Tory fundraising dinner the other night and now someone, some poor benighted soul paid 120 grand for dinner with Boris Johnson. Well, it wasn't just with Boris Johnson. No. It was with David Cameron and Theresa May as well. And Boris Can Johnson. you imagine That's being a, a fly on the wall from that one? A gruesome Well, it could be gruesome. Prospect. I mean, some those of us that have a sort of Actually, perverse maybe... interest in awkward... Uh, Political uh, uh, get-togethers. Maybe Germany should have. We should have clubbed together. I, I, I would have put a tenner in to get along to that. <laughs> I can assure you. We should have done that. We should have all put, cl- chip, the whole lobby. The should whole have lobby chipped in. Chipped in. Na- name out of a hat on the on the basis that on a pool basis. Yes. And report back afterwards. Yeah, please. It's um, uh, extraordinary. Um, uh, uh, the other joke, of course, Keir Starmer making about hundred thousand pounds jobs at the Foreign Office. Is this story about? Uh, Boris Johnson and his uh, and his girlfriend, whether or not she was at the time offered a job, we won't dwell on that too much. But just to explain now what that's all about, now his wife, of course, uh, other jobs are available. Um, uh, do, I'm not sure where either of them are really that. Boris Johnson's still not really socking it to Keir Starmer though on the on the question of the strikes. No, I mean neither of them. They're, they're two arguments in search of a you know a punchline, aren't they? Yeah. At the moment, the best punchline so far has been yours. <laughs> Although somebody's pointed out on uh, Twitter uh, that. Uh, uh, why isn't why why is why is nothing working? Is four words, not three. So that leaves a bit of wise, wise, wise. Why nothing working? Apostrophe. Uh, Boris Johnson doing his best to tie Labour to the popular to the popular strike. Thanks, Johnson, for doing his uh, for doing the thing. Starmer was shied away. That is a yeah. Anyway, uh, let's go back to question number. Let's go number four. Here we go. He can't help himself. There's a huge problem facing the country, and all he's interested in doing is blaming everyone else. Can't he hear the country screaming at him, get on with your job? Whilst he blames everyone and anyone, working people are paying the price. This week, his Treasury Minister said there's a society-wide responsibility for people to take a pay cut. At the same time, his chief of staff is trying to change the law to get bankers' bonuses increased. So come on, come on. Only one of them can be right. Is it his Treasury Minister who says every worker needs a pay cut? Or is it his chief of staff who says every banker needs a pay rise? Actually, Mr Speaker, under this government, five million public sector pay public sector workers are getting a pay rise, Mr Speaker. We've increased the living wage by a thousand pounds. We've increased universal credit so that people get a thousand pounds more. Uh, thanks to the fiscal firepower that we have, Mr Speaker, we're putting twelve hundred pounds more into every one of the eight million most vulnerable households in the country. That is what we can do because of the tough decisions uh, that we have taken, Mr Speaker. Uh, but meantime, what we're also trying to do is cut the costs of transport, which is a big part of people's weekly outgoings, by reforming our railways. That's what we're trying to do. But he's standing with the strikers, Mr Speaker, and lifting the cost of transport for everybody. That's the reality. That's a better line from Keir Starmer. 
Uh, can't he hear the entire country screaming at him, get on with your job? Yeah, and, the you know, the criticism of Boris Johnson that, you know, sometimes is a bit uh, lackadaisical is one that does cut through, and that can be used to condemn him on a range of subjects in a range of different ways, and if it becomes a leitmotif for Starmer, that could be quite useful. The other thing that was struck me at the start of that answer, the uh, question, rather, was the sort of uh, Starmer morphing into a kind of estuarial Tony Blair who used to drop every yeah, sort yeah. of concert, you know, he can't help himself was how we began that one. It was classic, you know, sort of uh, enunciating for the people there. Um, uh, Rachel on uh, YouTube pointing out, Tory backbenchers do not look especially enthused. Uh, Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, Boris Johnson keeps trotting out this phrase, fiscal firepower. It's one of those ones that's greatly beloved in the Westminster village. But I don't think anybody outside it has the vaguest notion what he's talking about. And also, when he says the government is uh, giving people money, you know, giving people money or we're working to make charges, it all seems a bit, you know, the world's upside down. They've put up taxes. The cost of living's going up. What are you actually doing about it? What are you... You know, Dominic Raab is on the round this morning. He was asked, what, are you, what is your actual concrete plan to do something about inflation? They haven't really got an answer. Well, no, really, it's up to the Bank of England to yeah. do it with the interest rates and, and, and the, the, you know, the size of the money supply. Um, and the great secret of all of this is that, the, you know, if you listen to someone like Mervyn King, the former governor of the bank, the bank really cocked up last year by not reining in. Uh, you know, they did more... Um, printing of money that they probably didn't need to do. The Chancellor signed it off, which he probably shouldn't have done. And, um, you know, the bank has not really sort of stepped up. And now the politicians are left, you know, in this now vicious circle where, you know, uh, they're facing ever higher demands for, for money. Um, and they've got ever less money to find it from. The, uh, um, the, the the workshop to try and find a slogan for the Labour Party continues. Uh, someone on, on the YouTube channel says, nothing is working. That's three words. Nothing's working, says Glenn. That's two. And uh, Nikki uh, says, uh, Britain isn't working, which is obviously, you know, it's close to Labour isn't working, which is the old Tory slogan. It feels like we're, we're groping away. We'll get, by the end of this, we'll have sorted Keir Starmer right out. And I'm sure we'll be very grateful for it. Uh, you can watch along live on the Times Radio YouTube channel, listening on Times Radio. I'm still uh, joined by Tim Shipman, Chief Political Commentator of the Sunday Times. It's question number five now from Keir Starmer. His Chief of Staff says that removing the cap on bankers' bonuses is, in his words, reflective of our new approach. Pay rises for city bankers pay cuts for district nurses. That's the new approach. Mr Speaker, I didn't see that on any leaflets in Wakefield. But this hasn't come from nowhere, because according to the Financial Times, on the 7th of June last year, the Prime Minister was directly lobbied for the cap to be lifted. Rather than help working people, he's rolled over on bankers' bonuses, hasn't he? Uh, Mr Speaker, what we're... What we're actually doing is putting, uh, thanks to the decisions we've taken, we are putting more money into the pockets of people up and down the country, uh, £1,200 more for the 8 million most vulnerable households. And the reason, the reason we can do that, Mr Speaker, is because we took the tough decisions necessary to come out of the pandemic faster than any other European country. That's why we have unemployment at or near record lows, uh, Mr Speaker. None of that would have been possible if we had listened to to him. And we have more people now in payroll employment than we had before the pandemic began. That is what the British people know and that is what this government is going to continue to deliver. Bankers to bonuses, the bankers, all I can think of is that um, the uh, Harry Enfield question time sketch. 
where someone just says the bankers, the bonuses, the bankers, the bonuses, we repeat, which was essentially Labour's. It's one of those ones that um, it, it seemed to be an easy hit um, for leaders of the if opposition. I, I've just looked up. I mean, it's just one November of those. November 2011, Ed Miliband going on about taxing the bankers and the bonuses, the bankers and the bonuses. Uh, J- January 2011, the country's fed up with the Prime Minister's pathetic excuses on the banks. Uh, can you explain to the British people, bankers, the bonuses, the bonuses, you know, this, this is not... This is true. It's just one of those classic areas where economically it makes total sense to uh, let bankers have their bonuses um, because they then put more tax into the economy and um, uh, you can attract more people to come and set up uh, shop here. Uh, politically, it's a disaster show um, because it really winds uh, people who aren't bankers up quite considerably. Um, and... That's that's a problem, but it um, also just you know. looks very odd. I mean, to decide to do that this week in the week that inflation hits nine percent, just it's, I mean, it's a bizarre curiosity that that this is where, where their focus has now gone. Um, uh, you know, they deserve politically to take a hit for it. I'm not sure they're taking one particularly here um, uh, with Starmer who's lost a little bit of his mojo since question two. Um, You know, he sort of ended that question with, you know, he's just given up, hasn't he? (laughs) You know, and the temptation for us all to go, well, I know how he feels, um, is high. The the, the Labour slogans keep coming in. Uh, Boris isn't working, says Christiana. Uh, well, that combines the sort of two themes, yeah. doesn't it? You know, La- lazy Boris Johnson and the country. Uh, Boris's bust, says John. Broke, lots of broken Britons. Uh, Boris's broken Britain, says Matt. Uh, keep uh, Woking isn't working, says Simon in Liverpool. It's quite specific, that one. Um, uh, Mark in France says, uh, Boris's sound like a broken record. Every week he replies very much the same. Nothing to do with the questions asked. Britain deserves better is the phrase they need, says Will in Beckenham. More positive than the ones you read out. Thanks. Yeah, there's something in that as well. Yeah. Uh, I'm having lunch with one of Starmer's people, so I'm going to take this list to them and say... Please do. You can report back. Why why don't you try one of these? Try one of these next time. We'll give you a big round of applause. Matt will bang his bell if it happens. We can get our... Imagine that if one of our slogans actually ended up... Anyway, 8722, start message the word Times. You can tweet at Times Radio. You can go online and uh, post your comments along as we go on the uh, Times Radio YouTube channel. Uh, here we go then. It's question number six. Brace yourselves. Adopt the brace position. Keir Starmer delivers a big zinger to round things off. Keir Starmer, 15 tax rises. High tax. Low wages. Low growth. That sums his government up. Working people paying more tax under this government and now they're told to take a pay cut. He's having meetings about increasing bankers' bonuses, but he can't find time for a single meeting to end the strikes crippling the country. Mr Speaker, it's Armed Forces Week. Under this Prime Minister, those serving our country are facing a real-terms tax pay cut. Why is his government more focused on increasing bank... Order. Order. Mr. Oh, Keir Starmer won't like this. Your voice isn't quiet. Lindsay it's like Hall mine. It curries. Interrupting so his big flowers. So the best thing flourish. to do, if you want it to curry, try standing on the terrace for a while. Here's <laughs> Mr. Speaker, it's Armed Forces Week. Under this Prime Minister, those serving our country are facing a real-terms pay cut. Why is his government more focused on increasing bankers' pay than the pay of those that are running the country? Yeah. 
how, how absolutely satirical uh, that he should talk about our support for the armed forces uh, when we've increased our funding for our armed forces by a record sum since the end of the Cold War, and when eight of the shadow front bench, eight of the shadow front bench, actually want to get rid of our nuclear deterrent, uh, Mr. Speaker, including, including the shadow foreign secretary. We're helping people up. Yes, it's true. Maybe it's, it's true, Mr. Speaker. We are helping people up and down the country. £1,200 will be coming into, into their bank accounts of the 8 million most vulnerable households. The cut in national insurance will be coming into their bank accounts as a, as a result of the steps uh, my right honourable friend is saying. But what we're also doing is reforming our systems so we cut costs for people up and down the country. Reforming our energy markets, building a nuclear reactor every year rather than one every 10 years, Mr Speaker, uh, getting people off welfare into work. Half a million people off welfare into work because we cut the, cut, cut the time people are waiting on benefits, Mr Speaker, and cutting the costs of transport for working people, Mr Speaker, by delivering reforms while they are out on the, out on the picket line, out on the picket line, literally holding hands with Arthur Scargill, Mr Speaker. One for the nostalgists. This is a government that is taking this country forward. They will take it back to the 1970s. I'm not sure that Keir Starmer was literally holding hands with Arthur Scargill. No, um, but that really was. I mean, there were weeks when I think you and I should just throw pies at each other, and you know that would probably, <laughs> probably suffice. Did, probably did quite well on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, you know, Lindsay Hall knocked him a bit off his stride and we had, you know, armed forces running the country rather than presumably protecting, protecting the, the country. country. Again, Keir does this, he sort of, he, he, he drops all these bits along the way and then normally the last question is the, is the clip for the news, pull it all together, wham, bam, thank you, man, Britain's not working, whatever it might be. Let me introduce a new thought about now Keir Starmer seems to be promising a big pay rise to the armed forces. Yeah, and whenever you mention the armed forces, particularly if you're giving the Prime Minister the, the final word, he's always going to talk about Labour people who don't really, you know, like the idea of us having a big military very much. And but, actually, the problem with Keir Starmer raising that is that you then start getting questions to the Labour Party because they can't answer with what is the pay rise they would give? Yes. Would they put benefits up in line with inflation? Would they uprate public sector pay in line with inflation? And if they if they can't answer that, then they're no better off than the government. No, and if you know they say they're going to sort out a clear policy positions over the summer and into the autumn, and frankly, you know, PMQs towards the end of the year may be a, a good deal of a clearer battle. I mean, we're being rude about Keir Starmer. I mean, just analysing that final answer from Boris Johnson as well. I mean, he talked about a cut in national insurance when national insurance is going up. Um, he talked about building a nuclear reactor every year. Well, in his resignation letter, Jesse Norman, who's a former energy minister, said, I can assure you there is literally no prospect of you achieving that. Um, so, you know, it, in the run of kind of um, justificatory uh, answers, that was a particularly uh, uh, Boris Johnson-y answer. It's, uh, the, the, the suggestions for slogans continue. Glenn says it's pretty simple. Like Tony Blair with his pledge card, voters need positive reasons to turn to Labour. Uh, bring us together, says someone else. Um, uh, br uh, bringing Britain together. Um, I suppose that's a more sort of positive labour. Yeah, I mean, you, there's a there's a place for positivity, and uh, you know, I'm sure we'll get another pledge card. Labour seem to do that at most general elections, um, but I do think they need something that attacks the government um, initially, that sort of sums up the malaise um, that they're seeking to put right. And and then crucially, it needs to be something which is repeated. 
week constant. after week, week after at, week. At PMQs, but every single time there's a front bench on breakfast or whatever it might be, whatever the story is, twist it round to... Well, this is what the Tories did, you know, when they, when David Cameron was in. They put something about their, you know, long-term economic plan in yeah. literally every quote of yeah. every press release. And most of us ignored it most of the time, but not all of the time. And, you know, it gradually seeped into the public consciousness. Well, I they mean, became very adept at, at insert, burying it in a single-sentence quote that was impossible to... Well, you couldn't just leave the <laughs> sentence out. And, uh, you know, the example I always use is... Um, uh, the people who were on George W. Bush's bus during, uh, you know, his first election. And the journalists got sick of hearing the same stuff day after day and they went to Carl Rove, who was the campaign manager, and said, you know, we need new jokes, we need we need new slogans that we can't... You know, there's, no, well, there's nothing to report every day, it's just the same every day. And, and Carl Rove told them to get lost and said, you know, we will change the stump speech uh, when every single voter in this country can recite it. And... Sadly, that's what politics is about a lot of the time. It's hammering, you know, just at the point where the likes of you and me are getting bored, other people are beginning to notice. Somebody got in touch and said, you know, we don't want politics by slogans. Well, actually, politics is a a lot, because a lot of people don't spend a lot of time thinking about politics. As you are going to hook them in and catch their attention, some of it is... The job of a politician is to explain what's going on in the world and how it might be put better. And if you can't sum up what's wrong, you can't then offer people a solution. Um... So I disagree with that 100%. Yeah. Poli- if, if politics is anything, it is about narrative and slogans and, you know, yes, it's great to have some good policies, but those policies won't get noticed or have any if meaningful effect yeah, yeah. On, the, on the voter unless they know what they are and they know how that fits into your story. 